This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 9.19 in the morning, you're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana, Philip and Jensen. Let's get a quick update on the FBM KLCI. Well, the FTSE Board Simulation is slightly up now, 0.06% at 1472. Singapore is down 0.36%. Nikkei also slightly up 0.09%. Kospi, S&P all in negative territory. All right. Well, there are signs that point to inflation peaking globally and reaching a point of stability. This may see the bond market finally see some reprieve in 2023 and drive interest in in this asset class. With the US dollar likely to have peaked and the Fed already giving guidance of more modest interest rate increases, well emerging market bonds outperform developed market bonds. And specifically on Malaysia, how will the government and its new cabinet address its ballooning subsidy bill? And what will this mean for inflation, the ringgit, and possible return of foreign investors? For answers to this, we speak to Dr. Ray Choi, Head of Economics and Research at Opus Asset Management. Ray, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Now, what are your interest rate expectations for the US and emerging markets moving into 2023? What's your forecast in terms of peak rates and timing? Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me here. Uh, well, U.S. interest rates are expected to taper off in the first half of 2023, um, and that's something that financial markets are quite excited about. There are several signs supporting this, uh, namely slower growth driven by tight monetary policy and lower inflation as uh, growth and commodity prices decline. Um, well, um, even if interest rates were to continue rising going into 2023, I think the extent is going to slow down quite a lot. So, um, for example, over the last couple of U.S. Federal Reserve meetings, we had rate increases of as much as 75 basis points. And that is expected to, you know, diminish to about maybe 50 basis points or 25 basis points increases uh, going forward. So, um, since we're at 4% Fed funds rate now, so... This suggests we could see just maybe two or three more rate hikes be the expected interest rate peak at uh, 5% by the first half of 2023. And Ray, with interest rates, as you mentioned, likely peaking in first half of next year, is it finally time to be adding more bonds to the portfolio? Well, fixed income globally had been one of the major underperformers in 2022, driven by um, the high inflation and high interest rates. So, I think those, uh, you know, historical or previous headwinds uh, are now long gone and they are tail- turning into tailwinds. So I think in other words, there's actually a strong tendency for mean reversion and a strong tendency for outperformance in bonds going forward into 2023. So, of course, the pathway to adding more bonds, it won't be a smooth one. Uh, there are some inflation indicators in the U.S., for example, a very strong labor market in the U.S. and high prices. But broadly speaking for bonds um, at a global macro level, most inflation indicators, they have actually uh, started to ease. So on the shorter term tactical view, um, the year end could also see some volatility spikes. But I said the path won't be a smooth one, but I actually see this as um, opportunities uh, as some potential entry points into the bond market. So how would you weight then between emerging markets and you know developed markets in view that USD is, seems to be peaking and emerging market currencies are strengthening? As we begin to gradually add back carefully into the portfolio, how would you weight the portfolio then? 
Um, so indeed, because the US dollar is speaking, I would actually weight the portfolio more heavily into local currency um, emerging market uh, bonds. So basically, you will actually uh, get two positives from bonds next year. You have um, currency gains if you're holding emerging market bonds, and you also have gains from um, lower yields, so you'll get capital gains. Um, so therefore, on the flip side, there are risks if you were to hold US uh, dollar investments, even if they are well placed in the emerging markets because of the potential volatility of the US dollar. So I think local currency emerging bond markets are actually preferred as compared to US dollar emerging bond markets. Um, so I think to be um, a bit more specific, uh, since I'm looking at Asia more closely, I think Malaysia has um, very good risk-reward um, ratio. It has lower volatility um, and remains in the investment-grade space. So there are other Asian investment-grade markets such as Indonesia. It's considered um, higher volatility, but the total return would naturally be higher when markets are bullish in 2023. So um, as usual, higher risk, higher reward. Um, so um, another interesting bond market would be the Thai bond market. They will benefit more greatly from the currency angle. Of course, tourism is uh, recovering very strongly in uh, Thailand. Um, but I think for the Thai bond market, it's more of a currency play rather than a yield play because yields there uh, have been actually very, very low. If we take a look at corporate bonds, Ray, how important is credit quality given still looming risks of a recession, which may then lead to earnings and cash flow vulnerability? What sectors do you think would be more resilient on this score? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, 2023 could see an extension of the default risk uh, cycle because, of course, growth is uh, expected to slow and earnings will slow and therefore there will be stresses on corporate cash flow. So, I think at the end of the day, we need to be um, quite cautious uh, with the lower rated uh, credits. They will remain at risk of debt extension and various corporate exercises to avoid uh, rating downgrades. Um, so I think the sweet spot for next year would be to stay within um, the investment grade uh, space. Uh, do not be um, overly aggressive and stay within uh, defensive uh, sectors. So uh, some of the defensive sectors would, of course, uh, include um, banks. I mean, they will benefit naturally because interest rates are rising, which will lead to higher interest margins. Um, other defensive uh, sectors will also benefit from income uh, spreads, for example, uh, consumer staples, healthcare and utilities. So I think being necessity, some of these uh, so-called defensive non-cyclical sectors will remain robust despite uh, stresses on the macro credit environment. And Ray, on the flip side then, which sectors look more vulnerable to rating downgrades? Well, uh, on the flip side, uh, we would have to be cautious with cyclical sectors such as um, commodity companies. We need to remember a lot of them um, had very good uh, gains in terms of uh, profits and cash flows in 2022 due to the very positive commodity cycle. But that may eventually turn in 2023. Um, and the other thing to note would be companies which actually rely on um, a lot of uh, commodity-related input costs uh, will continue to face uh, very uh, squeezed uh, profit margins and liquidity strains. So they will also be vulnerable to the credit risk. 
So in association with the um, property companies, construction subcontractors reliant on that property sector will also face uh, ongoing risks, although some of them may continue to rely on government um, projects since uh, fiscal spending will likely remain a key uh, support factor for the economy in 2023. And Ray, you know, new government, new cabinet, all in place. What do you want to see this government do in its first 100 days to restore Malaysia's credibility economically? Yeah, that, that's a golden um, question. And, and I must um, apologize in advance if I'm uh, going to explain it in, in very broad and slightly less specific terms. But sometimes I think understanding the overall framework of what's important is uh, in a better way to answer these kinds of questions. So I think institutional reforms, they definitely cannot be underestimated. Um, I've done um, quite a lot of research on this, and um, I understand that social, political, and institutional factors are heavily weighted in sovereign um, credit ratings. So by extension, it also means they are quintessential to any nation's ability to achieve economic um, progress. So... In a traditional economic framework, we tend to think about total factor activity or the extent of GDP growth, uh, such as uh, in terms of uh, human capital and physical capital like resources. But I think the overarching framework that holds all of this together um, can be likened to General Management 101, and it's basically (laughs) your social, political, and institutional factors. So I, I think... You know, we're all grappling with issues such as uh, corruption, rule of law, and political okay. stability. But we need to remember all of these are actually just uh, symptoms. So we need to make sure that we sort out the fundamental general management right. 101 of sovereign nations. So for a gauge of how we are in fact, um, we do have the governance indicators okay. by the World Bank, and they are quite telling indeed. All right. Mm. All right, Ray. Thank you very much for speaking with us. That was Dr. Ray Choi, Head of Economics and Research at Opus Asset Management, giving us his outlook for fixed income markets as well as what he hopes to see from the new government. It's 9.29 in the morning. We're heading into the 9.30 a.m. news bulletin. We'll come back after that with People, Planet, Profit, focusing on the voluntary carbon market. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.